Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, and I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Jones, Chris Beasley and Gav Buckland. Today's show is a show with a bit of a difference, and one that we was planning on doing a couple of weeks ago, but unfortunately, transfer speculation and takeover talk are in the way, as it kind of all blew up yeah. in the closing weeks after Everton's campaign had finished. But today we're going to take a look back on last season, pick our player of the season, bones of the season, and the player who our panel were most surprised by in a good or bad way. We're also going to look at tie into looking at next season and what the Blues need to do to ensure that they are not in a relegation battle and we are not all put through the Crystal Palace match we was. But mm. to start with, Adam, I'll come to you. Mm-hmm. Nice, easy one. <laughs> Who was your player of the season last season? You were yeah. most against for the Echo. I think it was it four games you missed all season? Yeah. yeah four I games. Three or four. Three, a lot of them games, you were on, I think I only missed more than most players, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of them games you were on ratings duty for the echo. Yeah. Not everyone might have agreed with them ratings. Fantastic. So but, Fantastic. but, you know, Fantastic. Um, Fantastic. so who who the person who most impressed you throughout the course of the campaign? Um, well, there weren't a lot of consistent performance for Everton last season. I think that's probably <laughs> probably <laughs> quite accurate to say. Uh, if, it was, uh, if it was just for the second half of the season, I think you'd have to say that Anthony Gordon would have a good shout. But I think... Throughout the majority of the season, it's got to be Jordan Pickford, hasn't it? You know, I, I completely agree with who actually who actually won the award uh, from from Everton's set of awards. I think you know Pickford was, you know, even throughout those last games of the season, he was absolutely phenomenal, wasn't he? Everybody talks about those saves in the Chelsea game, and quite rightly so. But I think he was producing that caliber of save throughout the course of the season. To be honest, he's completely eradicated the mistakes from his game uh, at this point. I think he's. One of the coolest heads uh, in the in the back line as well, which I think probably goes a little bit under the radar, especially from people who don't watch Everton week week on week. You know, as we just keep seeing, you know, whenever you see whenever you see a England play as well, they, this always seems to come up, doesn't it? You know, these sort of false narratives that that have just it seemed to cling to Pickford more than any other goalkeeper, to be honest. And you know, that's I suppose that's the uh, that's the territory that comes with being England number one. But I think he's really standing up to that to that pressure now. I think he's really. I th- I still think he's captain material for Everton. I, I know a lot of people don't like seeing goalkeepers as captains, but I think he'd be. I think he'd be perfect captain material for Everton. I think he's really become a leader. I think he's improved a lot of aspects of his game. I think he commands his area a lot better than he did maybe eighteen months ago. Uh, and you know his shot stopping ability is. Arguably unparalleled across the Premier League, I, I would say. I think you know his ability to get down to the you know shots such as Aspilicueta's one against Chelsea. You know, I, I'd, I'd I'd like to see a lot of keepers in the Premier League try and try and get across to something like that. So I think just in terms of consistency and uh, the quality that that he produced, I think you've got to uh, you've got to give it to Pickford. And to be honest, I don't think it was. 
there's not exactly a wide pool of players that you, that you pick them from uh, in terms of performances last season. But I think even if there was Pickford, would be head and shoulders above them all. Gaff, Adam just used a word there to describe Jordan Pickford. That was straight from the Roberto Martinez textbook. Okay. In, in phenomenal. Is there anyone else you would put you a pick, or are you you on the same page as, as Adam? It's uh, Everton England's number one who gets your back and your vote for this season. No, it, it's got to be Pickford. Um, I, I was talking about other games. Just thinking of those saves he made at the start of the Man United game at Goodison. Mm. Um, yeah. I think the thing about Pickford I'd say is the two seasons he's been played of the season for us have been his two busiest campaigns, yeah. 17-18 and, and last season. And I think it's that I think we all know that when he's busy, he's top class, isn't he? Mm. I think Jordan struggles sometimes when things are, when we're doing well and he's not brought into action as much, whether his concentration is um, is the same. And it'd be interesting to see, you know, hopefully looking forward to next season, we do improve, you know, whether his new found maturity means that even when he's not busy, he's still concentrating and focusing. Pickford all day long for me. Other people had purple patches. I don't think we can uh, disregard Richarlison's contribution at the the end of the season. Um, I mean, Andrew Townsend and Demarca had great starts in the campaign. Shout out for Adam Go- uh, Adam Gordon. Adam Jones made his mark on the That's what I call yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he's the best. But- He's the best wide man so podcaster in, in Everton history. Uh, <laughs> I, <think. laughs> I mean, Seamus was terrific, wasn't he? At the end of the season, used his experience, I thought. Um, so there's purple patches for some players, but Pickford all day long. And hopefully he can, he can carry on in the same vein and I do agree. Um, you do seem as part of the deal, I say. If there was a senior leadership team, Within the uh, within the squad to be part of that, and um, it'd be interesting to see what happens with the captaincy. Um, but, but bravo, excellence, and that save against Chelsea, you know, still defies belief. Yeah, great season. Are you going to go against the trends, mm-hmm. or are you going to make it a full house for Jordan Pickford? <laughs> no, nah, I, don't, I don't, you know, it'd be nice to mix it up, wouldn't it? Like I said, but no, I don't think I don't think you, you can do. I mean, as as the um, as the member of staff who had the fangless task of totting up all those player ratings, I mean it was it, it was hard enough for us all throughout the season, you know, all, all the stick that you get after each game and the, you know what game were you watching? But I was the one who had to add them all up, get the the big calculator out, and um, come up with the player ratings, the average for the entire season, and it was illuminating really because there were really only three candidates. You, there wasn't much between them at all, but obviously Jordan Pickford. Richarlison and Anthony Gordon went like head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of, of their, um, their average rating. And it's quite telling, really, with Pickford that the back four in front of him, or back three as it was at times, or back five, they were all averaging just in just five point whatever, you know, quite a low score, whereas Pickford was significantly higher. Obviously, he got the, he got the 10 from, from Adam, as I'm sure anyone would have given him against Chelsea after that display. And concur and you know i said at the time the highest accolade i could give for pickford but that was that was, that was as spectacular as you anything saw you ever saw from neville southall and he sort of saved from that and you can't pay him a higher compliment um yeah i got the nine was it at leicester just yeah. after that as well 
it's important in the running. Gav's mentioned the Manchester United win as well, but throughout the season. And it's like we said, we've, we're sort of covering the same ground again, but it needs to be said that he's been consistent for a couple of years now and that people have these narratives. I mean, one of the narratives is that um, he only does well for England yeah. and he's been consistent for Everton for all this time. People say he's wild or whatever. You know, there have been those moments in the past, but he has generally cut those out of the, his game and has been Everton's consistent with well, I mean, one of the crazy ones, I think it was after the, the Crystal Palace FA Cup defeat, when Stephen Warnock um, was saying about how mm. he'd hate to play in front of Pickford because of his shouting and bawling and that had unnerved him. I'd hate to play behind Stephen Warnock. Maybe he's trying to s- sound relevant, but yeah, if, if there was one thing wrong with Evan at that particular moment in time, it wasn't Jordan Pickford. He actually had a great game at Palace. He made a lot of yeah. good saves and, and scored and rebound a couple of times, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, as we said, a potential leadership is interesting because you'd imagine, you'd think that Seamus wouldn't be playing as much next season. And although he may retain the club captaincy and wear the armband, even when he, you know, he does play, maybe you'd want somebody else captain aside on a more regular basis. And Pickford's got to be the leading candidate for that. So the way, I mean, despite what Stephen Warnock says, you've got to welcome that sort of... Um, that leadership from the back that he provides and, you know, he's, he's only helping his his teammates and telling them what to do. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they don't take it to heart and yeah, most consistent player. It was, it's got to be from those three, him and himself, Richardson and Gordon. And yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd complete the set and give it, give it to, uh, to, to Pickford about yourself, Connor. Well, I, I would, I would, I would complete this yeah. the set and, and say Pickford because you could knock or jet. But just on the captaincy little bit, is what you mm-hmm. said. Because it's an interesting point because it's often made not not just to do with Everton, but certainly in the wider football, is goalkeepers shouldn't be captains because they're not on the middle of the pitch and don't have a real, you know, impact on the game sometimes. You know, in Jordan Pifford's case, he's probably Everton's busiest player. But in general, would you go against, against that grain and, and still give him the armbands and, and, and let him be captain? It's an interesting one because they say about strikers as well at the other end, don't they? If they're up top, don't give it to a striker. So you sort of, most of the time, I guess it's either a defender or a midfielder. I mean, it's not. It's, it's not like cricket where you know that the captaincy is so important that because you know you're picking the team, etc., and in other sports or whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't actually matter who wears the armband. I mean, it, it obviously it's prestige or whatever, and you might be able to have a word in the referee's ear a bit more easily. But yeah, um, I don't think it matters. I mean, ideally, I probably wouldn't give it to a goalkeeper per se. I would prefer it to be in one of those more traditional areas, but. Given that the the dearth of um, potential other captains, and um, I'm, I'm thinking about it, I mean, the talk it's about Ben Godfrey when he first came in, he might be a potential Everton captain of the future, and maybe he still might be. But at this moment in time, I I think that Pickford is the most natural choice. The way I I see it, senior pro now, um, he's been at Everton for five years. Um, I've seen no problems. Um, with, with the language, as, 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 you know, as long as we don't count, you know, the the Macam accents, and, um, <laughs> and I'm sure they can. I'm sure he gets those points um, across easily enough. Um, yeah, so it, yeah, it would. I, I see what you mean. I mean, I would sort of shy away from giving it a cap to, to a goalkeeper, but I don't think it's a problem at, uh, as such. Um, I, I think that he, he's he's earned his, his right if it does um, pass to him, be it on a game to game basis or for him formally to get. That'd be interesting the way Frank goes because I know Frank really sort of um, respects Seamus and the way that it certainly he, he performed not just as a player but as a man, as a captain, as a off the field influence in those latter 
stages of last season. So maybe it will be that Coleman does retain the club captaincy and uh, Pickford comes in and actually skippers aside on a more regular basis. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was a season, gents, of ups and downs. Plenty of moments, good and bad, on and off the pitch. But Bradham, what one moment for you was the, was the real highlight? What one will stick in your memory and live long in the memory for as long as you can remember? Well, I think everybody's going to say Calvert Lewin against Crystal Palace. So I'm, I'm going I'm to try and think of something different than that. I well, think I'm it, not because I wasn't there. So I, was, well, I thought I was going to give yeah. you that one. I'll go with that one then. I'll, I'll, go with, I'll go with Calvert Loon against Crystal Palace because I think I've said this before on the podcast. I'll admit that at half time in that game, I was, I was sat there in the press box, kind of looking around at my surroundings and thinking to myself, this is the last time I might, I might see Goodson Park in the Premier League. Like, I, I really thought that. <laughs> that there might be no way back for Everton in the, in that sort of circumstance. So to complete that fight back in the way that they did, you know, a, a very Duncan Ferguson esque diving header from Calvert Lewin right in front of the Gladys Street. You know, the the immediate scenes afterwards of people on the pitch, and then you know, obviously the scenes after the final whistle as well. It was just, it was just so unexpected, and so it it was just a moment just so full of emotion you know it, it, it's it's really hard to you know, I know I know many people have tried to say this since it's just so hard to quantify what was actually going through you know both your head and your heart at, at, at that scenario it was, it was just so much relief joy just pure pure passion just sur- surrounded you in inside Goodison Park at that moment so yeah I, I don't think I've experienced anything like that uh, in all my time going to the game kind of hope that I never experience anything like that ever again, uh, unless it's, you know, towards the top end of the table or for a trophy or something like that, rather than oh, uh, much in a situation that it, well, no, you know, you know uh, I've had, I've had 27 years of, of hoping for it. I think I've done my time at this point. So yeah, uh, that, that, I don't think that moment is, is ever going to be, is ever going to be topped really. I think that was just, that was just absolutely Incredible to be to be honest, I, I don't think I actually remember the ball hitting the back of the net. <laughs> like, I don't think I actually remember that moment because of just everything that happened around it. It was it was just yeah, you know, it was quite a it was quite incredible. I think that I think that one's got to be got to be top for me. Bees, I'll come to you next because you've already had to cast off the back a little bit <laughs> that you're not going to pick that moment. Yeah, so yeah. what 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 is your yeah. moment of the season? Yeah. Then? I'll just explain to to to, uh, to our listeners or viewers whatever we, we end up a format they they're seeing us this time. It's normally in the Echo office. Um, although I was a, a veteran of Wimbledon in '94, Coventry in '98, at both of those games, I wasn't at the Everton Crystal Palace game. I was how many thousand miles away it was on a family holiday in, in Florida. Originally planned for February, but had to be put back for COVID. So um, I, I was long, obviously not a long way in terms of my thoughts, but um, I, I wasn't um, 
I wasn't actually attending that game. So it couldn't be that one for me. Um, so it has to be something um, differently. And for me, it's actually, it's, it's, it's another diving header, actually. But it's the Seamus Coleman's one, the, the Leeds United game, um, oh, first um, home okay. game for, for Frank Lampard. Um, I think even though it was only in February, there were almost... There was a certain feeling around the ground that day, uh, uh, dare I even say, almost Wimbledon-esque, even though there were three months left of the season at the time. And the, I think Everton had gone so long without um, having the, the win in the league. Obviously, they'd won against Brentford in the FA Cup and they'd obviously had the, the, the last gasp win against um, Arsenal um, in, in December, which proved to be Benitez's um, last Premier League victory in charge. But they just needed something that day, I thought. I just... And it ended up being one of the performances of the season. I mean, it was sort of tempered afterwards with the way Leeds went after after that game, sort of onto free fall, which ended up with Bielsa's sacking and the fact that Leeds only ended up staying up by the skin of the teeth. But I just felt that they need on that day that they needed that bit of inspiration, just something to spark the Frank um, Lampard um, reign there in the Premier League at Goodison. Um, just the, the way um, Seamus was like a, a leaping salmon just to um, attack that ball when it came across the six-yard box. Was it Calvert Lewin? I can't remember now. Who knocked it across the, uh, the the face of goal, and then Coleman, you know, he's, you know, right back. And we're talking about how old father times catching up with him now. He's still super fit, but no, not the young whippersnapper he once was. But there he was. He anticipated it back post and put Everton on on the way to a, a handsome. Victory. So for me, that was a bit of a that was a sort of a turning point to set the tone because after all, they've gone under Benitez, most controversial appointment in English football's most passionate football city. So even if you throw away all that Liverpool baggage, the fact that he was yesterday's man, he had this wretched record, one Premier League win out of his last thirteen. You know, it was an absolute. If you'd have said to even the most sort of pessimistic Evertonian last summer. Where do you expect to be, you know, um, come half the season under Benitez? They could surely have not painted a picture as bleak as it ended up being under Benitez. So just to get that kickstart on the Frank in the Premier League and just captain Seamus Coleman, leading by example with the way he scored that goal. So that'll be my moment. OK, Gav, are you going to pick a Goodison Park moment? <laughs> or A um, cu- couple of things. Just going back to what Chris was saying before about the discrepancy between Pickford's marks and the Everton defences marks last season. I'm reminded of uh, the great Pat Jennings when he was awarded Football of the Year in 1976. He opened his acceptance speech by saying, uh, I'd like to pay tribute to the uh, and thank the Spurs defence for giving me so many opportunities to show my, <laughs> <laughs> to show my talent this season, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just thinking that about like this was yeah. saying about the, the difference in marks. Yeah. But, it doesn't yeah, matter. I would be like that, Gav. I'm saying, obviously, Nev was the la- the next goalkeeper, and is he still the last goalkeeper to win that? And obviously, title winning side. So it doesn't always no have to be like that. No, and even yeah. in '84, '85, I mean, Nev had a load of uh, load of um, man of match awards. Yeah. I, I I did I did a book called uh, Strange But Blue about 15 years ago about Everton's strangest games and moments, and I'm sure if I was up to update it, I'm sure. Uh, Everton won Newcastle nil. A good some would be, uh, would be Palace, part of that. It's going to be my uh, one if I didn't do Palace. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. A for a, a for a Wobie's goal, which was a great moment, one in itself. It was probably the only chance anybody had on either t- team in the match. B, it was the fact that it was the, <laughs> the 98th minute or something. And we still ended up playing another 10 minutes after that, yeah. didn't we, or something? 
I mean, obviously, a whole bizarre night of pitch invaders and stuff like this, and you know, dinosaurs being thrown from the the Bullens Road stand. So I, I'm going to say, as much as I uh, obviously the, the 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 scenes against Palace, I don't think I'll ever, you know, forget that the Newcastle game for its utterly bizarre sequence of events that ends up in a you know playing what was it 15 minutes yeah. injury time was it something like that in the second half I haven't played a load of injury time in the first half so I'm um, going to go with the Wolves goal and also with it you know did we did mention him talking about players of the year and and, and people who had um, good periods but me we've got to pay tribute to Wolves for his last sort of nine or ten games after that um, and he's very good. So I want to go to Newcastle game within that specifically. Wobie's goal. I'm going to say, Gab, there's the iconic scene of the fellow, the, the, the wire cutters or whatever it was as well. If you think about oh. it, I mean, I know. And the VAR, of course, as well. Oh, Alan, yeah. You know. it, it has been memorable. A memorable season this like I mean it was like I mean another great moment it's, it's funny as the great another moment Tamari Grace Tamari Grace last minute goal against Arsenal and and the fella the fella who, who knew it was going in who'd already started yeah. celebrating while the ball was hadn't reached the uh, back of the net so yeah it was an odd season for those type of uh, incidents but I'm going to go with the uh, will be going against Newcastle in the context of a, a bizarre and unforgettable good as an evening I'm going to go with a moment that wasn't a good as Park, but it was a significant one. And it were the scenes during and after the win over Leicester. Yeah. The uh, King yeah. Power. Because I think everyone realised at that point in the season, Everton needed to win a one away game at some point yeah. to, to get themselves safe, given yeah. the amount of home games that they had left. And I think the, the fans pulled them through that day. I don't care what anyone says, you know, the, 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 the spirit of the Blues just before, after um, Everton went 2 1 up. And the, the atmosphere, and you know what felt like the longest forty-five minutes in history in the second <laughs> half. And, and let's yeah. face it, wasn't for Jordan Pickford. Everton probably would have lost the game, you know, four, five, two, because he made a couple of outstanding saves. Um, but I think the scenes, you know, Jordan after that, and you know the way Frank come back out at the end to show his appreciation when he gone back in. The fact that Everton managed to get himself up the line and get three points on the road, given it being so long since before they've been able to do that. You know, it was August, wasn't it? Brighton, Brighton yeah. away was the last time they managed to do that. It kind of was the catalyst for. You know, and getting them, get themselves over the line because you know we all we lose enough to me on the pod at the time they had to win an away game at some point because there wasn't enough home games left yeah. to get themselves over the line. So I think given the context and the fact that it was away from Goodison Park and you know it wasn't the 30, 40,000 people, it was just a small couple of thousand people to make that noise and have that impact was was nothing short of superb. Yeah, and I think that the, the fact that they followed that up with that tame goalless draw at an injury ravaged already relegated Watford, Watford sort of showed just how um, important that win at Leicester was. Yeah, absolutely. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gents, we'll move on because we're going to look at our player you've most been surprised by. It can be either a good way or a bad <laughs> way. <laughs> wow. The player, that, so I, that's why I think Gavin a little bit too early. They were on Alex Wolby Show because he could have possibly put him in for this one. Uh, <laughs> in a good way, of course. <laughs> I'm going to stick with someone in a good way, and I'm going to I'm going to say Vitaly Mikolenko because I think everything was essentially stacked against Vitaly mm. Mikolenko. You know, 
coming in to replace somebody as good as Luca Dean and you know somebody who Evertonians were collectively as disappointed to lose as Luca Dean coming in from the Ukrainian league, which is you know a big step up in terms of physicality and quality. Uh, as a young player as well, he had all of that uh, going against him, and of course, you know the the later the later invasion of his of his home country, and you know the con- obvious concerns about his family and friends uh, from the country that he left. And for the last for the latter part of the season, he stood up uh, in a way that was completely incredible to me. I think it could have been very easy for him to have just had sort of like a quieter sort of end to the season and, you know, settled in uh, to his Premier League life in, you know, a a slower, more, you know, discreet sort of way. But uh, he didn't. He absolutely stole the limelight, grabbed that position with both of his hands, showed some incredible defensive qualities, particularly. I think his attacking qualities are very underrated uh, from what he showed towards the latter stages of that season. His commitment was there. His desire was absolutely there he was you know in, in that back line for some of those last games of the season he was a, he was an example for everybody playing around him with their with the kind of performances that he was putting in got his just reward with a quite incredible goal away to Leicester as well which you know you saw the celebrations it showed not just the passion that he has uh, for his new club but you know just how much his teammates you know love and respect him already after just a couple of months at the club and, you know, what will have been, you know, a, a ridiculously tough time for him. Uh, he managed to put that to one side and, you know, he, he showed everything that an Everton player should be uh, in you know, what was a really tough fight for the club as well. So, you know, I think Vitaly Michalenko, you know, I don't, I don't think there's enough plaudits that he can be paid, to be honest, for, for how well he did towards the end of that season. And, you know, fingers crossed that he can carry that on into the into the rest of his Everton career because that has been a really promising start for me. Gav, what about yourself? Yeah, Michalenko, um Anthony Gorn, I suppose you could count as a, a surprise in terms of the amount of game time he's had. Um, but I'd give it away, didn't I, really, my previous answer, I think. I never thought of Wolby as an all-action <laughs> now. Midfield that are capable of taking like he did against Newcastle games by the scruff of the neck and bending them to his will. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, with the Wobie, um for that reason. Uh, you know, you'd never have guessed say uh, before Christmas or whatever you know, at the end of the season. All the plaudits the Wobie's had. Um, looking for the same next season, but maybe a little bit more on the ball. Games more, you know, it's not just about running around, running around the pitch. So, yeah, I've got to go with the Wobi uh, within that. And, you know, and, and there's been one or two disappointments. A personal disappointment for me has been Mina. You know, game time, limited. How many times did Mina go off the pitch during the game in the season? Three or four times, was it? Early on. And it usually coincides with him having just come back from yeah. six yeah. Yeah, I yeah exactly, and I, I uh, if you, I'm not saying I'm personally disappointed in Mina as a player because when he has played, he's quite clearly our best defender and one of our probably two or three best players. And we've spoken about captaincy. 
And in an ideal world, I fit me and it gets the captaincy all day long, doesn't he? Probably a couple of years ago. Um, so, in terms of a disappointment as a player, Mina, not necessarily for his performances or attitude, just the fact that he's not been on the pitch enough. Bees, like yourself? Yeah, I was actually thinking that as on the same lines as Gav, to be honest, about I was gonna I was gonna be like that Mr. Nasty and then go with a negative one. <laughs> um yeah, I, I mean about before I even pick out any individuals, um let's remember um this was the equivalent worst season in Everton's entire history, you know, we two do the two points for a win, three points for a win. Um, along with um, 2004, 2003-04, when they were never actually in a relegation battle, but got themselves safe at Easter and then collapsed at the end of the season. Um, even with the end of the season revival getting to 39 points, this was still the lowest equivalent points total for Everton ever. And this was this was with a, a squad which was widely um, reported as having the, the largest um, wage bill outside of the so-called Big Six. And whether you like that term or not, it's a financial reality. And yeah, I know it's still a drop in the ocean to what they're paying. Um, and we can argue and we've debated over the season what would be Everton's true position, where should this squad of players actually be? I think the one thing we can all agree on is considerably higher than 16th and 39 points. They should be doing much better than that. So I suppose all of them have to look at themselves. They've chronically underachieved. Now I'm the seventh manager of the Farhad Mashiri uh, era, so you can't just keep blaming it on the managers as much as, as wrong as his appointment last summer might have been, whether you felt that at the time or you that became glaringly obvious as the season went on. The players have to take uh, a large degree of responsibility and they have underachieved under a lot of different managers with different footballing philosophies. Um, so, yeah, Yeri Mina, um, again, you can't fault him when he's on the pitch. Everton's best defender by many people's... Um, Sort of way of looking at it um and he, he obviously doesn't deliberately get himself injured i don't think he deliberately doesn't look after himself or isn't a dedicated professional but for the money they paid for in this dominant center half who've done well for columbia in the last world cup it's just been not he's just not been on the pitch long enough over these um, four seasons that he's been at the club and particularly this season when they needed him more than ever when times were tough and they needed that defensive solidity that he does provide when he's on the pitch he's just not there uh, enough times I don't know how many off the top of my head was it maybe about 13 games he played I'm not sure something like that it was well under half the matches one of his lowest totals I think since he's been at the club and it's interesting to see um, James Tarkovsky probably going to be confirmed over this next week now whether somebody like Mina has even sold this summer given that as he's got one year left on his contract now interested to see the way they go i mean it was a similar story as well with fabian delf going back to those average player ratings beyond people who'd only played one game delf got the highest actual average rating above pickford richarlison and gordon but the fact that he only played like a handful of matches he's been let go for the club obviously his contract would have expired interested to see what happens with me and because kevin fellwell the new director of football talks about maybe needing a different type of player going forward he didn't specify what those attributes were i think he mentioned something about knowing their role a bit better but i think uh, part of that needs to be more robust signs people you can actually get on the pitch a lot more and i think that's what tarkovsky brings in that i know he didn't help burnley stay up this season but um i think he's played something like um over 30 matches in the Premier League last four years or something, and possibly something like 35 plus the last three years. So you can hope he can do that for Everton. Okay. 
Well, this next section, this next question <laughs> is one that we can do because we saved it, stayed up quite simply. And it's one that we can all look back on and smile and think, well, at least never, we never ends up going down. But Adam, what was the worst moment of the season for you? Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's probably so many Plot to choose from. About, there's so many to yeah. choose from, but that one that well, you think to yourself, you can now look back and smile and, and maybe giggle, but <laughs> oh, I, can't, I, I still can't look back and smile, believe me. <laughs> but but uh, given we stayed up, you know, all was okay in the end. The one, the one that always sticks out to me is that defeat uh, to Liverpool at Goodson. I just... I just think that you know when you've when you've had you know a Merseyside derby like that where Liverpool win so comfortably you know maybe there was ten minutes of some some Everton fight back but you know to even call it a fight back is probably Limited. yeah like you, you can't really describe it as that uh, it's for Liverpool to win so comfortably for the Liverpool fans in the corner of the stadium to be chanting the name of the Everton manager throughout that uh, through banners against. Uh, the management and the board. Uh, there was, you know, a lot of a lot of angry faces, shall we say, around uh, around the director's box when everybody was walking back in after the game. You know, we had that con- confrontation with one fan and Marcel Brands, of course, which would ultimately be Marcel Brands's last Final action act. as a as director of football of Everton. Um, the the whole mood around that game, even before the match, like you could you could tell that the mood was go- was going to be like that as well. Like everything about that that game just felt so so wrong. Just like, like at its core, it was so wrong because you know I think it was the game previously. There was a lot of protests after the defeat to Brentford, yeah. as well away from home. So you could tell that you, you could just see it coming from a mile off, and I think to have. Rafa Benitez survive as Everton manager after that game, particularly for me. You know, there's arguments to say that he should have gone beforehand. Well, obviously, he should never have been appointed <laughs> for, for a start. But, you know, there are arguments to say that he should have gone after the Brentford game, etc. I think this was the one for me that sticks out as how could, how could you keep him in place as manager? How could you put your backing behind him rather than... You know Marcel Brands, or you know, and like he, I just, don't, I just don't understand how he could have kept his job after, after what was such a rejection across the board from Everton fans, uh, in in inside that stadium and beyond as well on social media, etc. You know, there was such a rejection from Everton fans of the manager and his tactics and the way he was going about running the club at the time, and to keep him in in place for, you know, I think it was another forty odd days. It ended, it ended up being. I just think that was that was an absolutely criminal mistake because you know imagine if Frank Lampard had been appointed forty odd days earlier, how much momentum he might have he might have been able to accrue. We might not have been in such dire straits towards the end of the season. We might have been safe a lot sooner. Uh, we might have been able to have a much better January transfer window, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, it's all if buts and maybe's, but I, ju- I just think that. The, the moment itself of you know that final whistle going and just the the, the anger and the vitriol that was in the air, that was in the stands at that point I don't think I've experienced anything like that I think probably the, the closest thing that would come to it was after we got beat by Norwich right towards yeah. the end of Silver's time I actually when the when you get sat in the morning. yeah I actually wasn't there for that one so that's the only that's the only thing I could maybe equate it to in my head but you know I've never experienced anything but of course it wasn't just the fact that you know. Farhad chose to stick Barrett, was it? If you remember the, the next morning, Everton fans got a Farhad state, statement via Jim White yeah. telling them, you know, ah, that yes. why not only why not only was 
yeah. Rafa going nowhere, but why he was sticking by his man and and why he believed he was the man to take the club forward. So that was a real tipping point, wasn't it? I think yeah. In the season where things did go toxic, that was the tipping point where things because every Evertonian's worst nightmare come true. They've been yeah. And look, let's face it, I think you know we'd all agree. Nine times out of ten, when Liverpool play and Liverpool will win because they've not got better players. Ultimately, that's why those, those two squads, squads coming together. The, yeah. the, the, the yeah. challenge, the challenge for the you know, Champions League and, and the Premier League. But yeah. it was the way in which Everton were beaten, and you know the the fact that Liverpool fans were singing the Everton manager's name and yeah, after a joke, and it was just a, a real nightmare. Of things I think went toxic, didn't he? Yeah, that, yeah. Me. I think toxic's the perfect the perfect word to describe it. To be honest, so uh, I think that for me has got to go down as uh, as the worst. You know, that Brentford away game was quite bad as well. But uh, yeah, that 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 moment against Liverpool was just nah. I I I quite like to never think about that again. <laughs> if, if I'm quite honest. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, do you have a moment that you was hopefully quite like to never think about again for, from ever? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm going to go slightly different angle, but it's still relevant. It actually didn't involve Everton, would you believe? Oh. And it's a perfect example of that that thing, that comedy is tragedy plus time. Um, <laughs> and it was the, the Saturday afternoon in, in April where I'm sat at home watching um, Burnley at Watford. <laughs> I'm thinking, why am I watching Burnley at Watford of a Saturday afternoon? Yeah. And Watford's a winning, and then... Being he scored late on, didn't he? And then you're thinking, oh, no, I know what's going to happen here. And then Bainey scored again, don't you? And then you're looking at the league table. I think we had, did we have Chelsea the next day? We did, yeah. Thinking, and you're looking at the, the, the fixtures coming up. We've not won away from home since, you know, God knows how long. And thinking, that is a, you know, Bainey went th- thinking, that's the result that teams you stay up get. And that's the result that teams are going down who've got to play Chelsea the next day go down on the back of that. And I just remember, a couple. I think we were 12 to 5 on or something to go down after that game. I was thinking, after that, no, we're going down here. Everything everything is building against us. Burnley are playing expansive football away from home and winning games, you know, and stuff. And, and I was just thinking, oh, that's it. We're, we're, we're down down here and um you know and that that was it really i i that was one of the worst moments i've had as an Everton fan just thinking we're going down we're going down here um you know other teams are moving and we're just stuck in stuck in reverse so that was it for me and then but by the way i, I suppose in any review of the season we, we are obliged to acknowledge the the fans at the last few games i welcome the team coach and all that has been a highlight. Beat me, he's gone again too early again. <laughs> he's I've gone liked. again too early. <laughs> I can't remember what you said at the start. <laughs> it, it seems so long ago now, Connie. You know, it's 40 minutes ago. You know, at my, at, my, at my age, you've only got a certain amount of bandwidth of what you can remember, you know. And so I, I think I think uh, that, that Saturday evening, 5, 5 p.m. in April, when Bernie won it. Wofford thinking we're going down. Bees, what yourself? Yeah, yes, Harrison. It's 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 hard to narrow it down. There's there's three that have popped into my head. Um, first two actually interesting because they're sort of like turning points. They end up being awful games, but maybe leading on to better stuff. Um, first one is Norwich City away. I mean, I, I would also include the derby, like mm. as Adam said, but Norwich City away, which obviously proved to be um, 
Rafa's final game in charge. Um, it was um, obviously a, a, one of the longest away trips of, of the season um, in January as well. Um, and the, the fact that Norwich, they were on this absolutely wretched run themselves, and they? they hadn't scored, I don't think, for, I don't know, since October or something in the Premier League and hardly picked up any points. I don't I think they'd lost a load of games on the bounce. And of course, scored twice in a minute against Everton and... Uh, the, 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 the long-suffering Blues fans obviously uh, turned against Rafa on, on that day and you could see it was the beginning of the end for Benitez and um, yeah, within 24 hours he'd gone so obviously that was a that was a low point but then it led to the end of Benitez and um, probably um, long overdue but, you know, I ridiculously after being uh, obviously allowed to spend the money in January and uh, Luca Dean go out of the club then there was the the five nil at Tottenham of Adam and I were sort of sat closer than we are now um, for that one. Evan actually started yeah. the game well for a few minutes, but hey, Tottenham just absolutely annihilated and destroyed it. Then they were so far ahead they were even able to declare early in the yeah. second half and sort of take it easy. But that see that was the night that I think Lampard realised that you can't go toe to toe with these sort mm. of teams, and he was trying to be more idealistic about it. And sort of play that good football, and I think after that, to a certain extent, he sort of changed his his, his approach. I mean, as I'm thinking of that, and now the Crystal Palace FA Cup game comes comes into my uh, yeah. head as well. So that was not too long after that, mate. Another jolly trip to the capital for Adam and myself. But uh, yeah, and then and then finally um, the Burnley away game, actually a nightmare, and played very well I thought, and for, a, for a long time but then somehow conspired to lose the game through individual mistakes and um, Richardson absolute storm that night he sort of showed that why why Everton should be head and shoulders above Burnley in the, in the class that they had in the team and the ability they had on the pitch but somehow Everton lost the game and again it was the way we like Gav spoke about the way the relegation odds were after that um, Burnley win at Watford how the situation sort of waxed and waned and concertina in and out over those last few weeks, like Everton looking better now, Everton looking in trouble again. And that was, I think, certainly from the players' point of view, the way they reacted at the full-time whistle on turf more, I think that was the night that it sort of really, the penny dropped with the players, that they really might have gone down, because despite what the rest of us have been fearing for a number of weeks and sort of been saying to you, do you fear going down? And no, 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 we won't do. I think the players even realised that night. Mm. Adam? We talked there about the toxic Goodison atmosphere and the way things went wrong so very quickly for Everton. Mm-hmm. But it would be wrong for us not to touch on how Everton supporters pulled together in the club's time and need, realised that you know the team they love, the club they love, was on the brink of playing championship football yeah. you know, for this coming season. You know, the welcomes and the coach mm-hmm. welcome. There's so many aspects, you know, yeah. the coach welcome stand up. There's so many other things going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was a true was it the, the real sign of unity wasn't it from Everton is that whatever's gone before and whatever's been said we've all got to get together now and get this together our club over the line and make sure we're playing Premier League football 100% and you know it, it, it's good to you know especially in those like real times of adversity it was really good to see that sort of you know just any sort of negativity that was you know being perpetuated around the club like it, the fans just decided amongst themselves right we're just not gonna we're just not gonna focus on that because you know, we we can we can come to that at the end of the season if need be, and you know the the analysis really starts well now as as we're sitting here recording. But uh, yeah, it, like I think everybody kind of just realised that it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna help anybody if there was going to be this sort of negative or any sort of toxic attitude or 
anything like that towards the latter stages of the season because it just needed to be a unified stance. Everybody comes together uh, to try and create the absolute best atmosphere uh, that they possibly could. And, you know, I think the fans deserve a lot of credit for that, for uh, for banding together, as you say, and, you know, turning up in their, in their absolute thousands for stuff like coach welcomes and stuff like that. And I think, you know, members of the club really need to be a really need praise for that as well for, you know, organising uh, their own sorts of things, you know, managing to accommodate so many thousands of fans outside the stadium, for example, and outside Finch Farm as well, you know, didn't discourage them from going and gathering outside Finch Farm. It was very, it was a very encouraging sort of process from, you know, those people behind the scenes at Everton. And then, you know, the playing staff getting involved with it, coaching staff, you know, Frank Lampard really saw an opportunity to try and embrace that himself, didn't he? And, you know, really, you know, garner this sort of connection with Evertonians that we haven't seen for years and years between uh, between fans and the manager. So, you know, uh, I think that, you know, everybody everybody involved just deserves so much praise for, you know, what happened for, you know, probably from that from that Chelsea game onwards, because I think you, you're right in what you were saying earlier. You know, I, I, I've got no doubts in my mind that if that doesn't happen, Everton probably go down with 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 the the way the results were going for them, and you know the just how important you know that sort of atmosphere was in pulling them through matches. You know, like that Chelsea game and that Palace game, for example, and that Leicester game that you that you mentioned previously before. So you know though, that 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 kind of attitude and that that sort of unity was really 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 important in, in, in preserving Everton's Premier League status. And you, you've just got to hope that that is, you know, a basis and a platform that Everton can use to to step forward from and push on from now. Not, you know, not you know, completely completely dismiss any sort of negativity because I think now is a time that you need to reflect and you really need to learn from the mistakes and address those mistakes that have, that have happened in the past. So, you know, there's a lot of tough questions that do need to be answered over the course of the coming weeks and months, but you just hope that, you know, the kind of positive attitudes and that positive mentality that was created towards the end of that last season, you just hope that that can be a platform to then to then build on and, in, and uh, improve over the course of next season. Gav, Tony Cascarino becoming the latest pundit ex-player to, you know, question Everton's chances in the Premier League next season you know, over the weekend. He's not the only one who's made such comments since the season finish, you know, many are maybe rightly putting out that you know, there's very little change happening at the club, so I would expect a different outcome uh, in the head of this coming season. But did you see enough towards the end of last season to be confident that a repeat of last season can be avoided this season? Or are you a little bit concerned that, you know, Everton's still very, very thin on the ground and, and if they're not careful, they will be dragged down and, and sucked into another battle? Um, yeah, the latter, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I think I said this the other week that, Lampard's going in to the next season with the lowest expectations since Moyes in that, that season. And I think Chris was talking mm. about 03 04, where we, we finished 17th, but we were we were on the beach from Easter. Um, and then, then we had a, a summer of turmoil with Selling Rooney and the expectations were low. And and I think that's in Frank's favour. I can see why Cascarino saying what he's saying, to be honest with you, especially if we have to lose one or possibly two of our better players. And at the moment as well, all this intrigue regarding the ownership, I don't think is helping. So I can I can fully um, understand why he's saying that. I think the key to it though is is, is Lampard's tactics, isn't it? Is what we did at the end of last season. You can't do that over the whole campaign. 
Mm. Got to do things differently, and different players got to perform in different roles than what we performed at the end of last season. Awobi being one of them. So that's very much an unknown at the moment. I'm not saying I'm, I'm concerned at this stage, but I can understand why somebody like Cascarino says that. To be honest with you, Beast, just to finish, then what about mm-hmm. yourself? Are you excited for the new season? Yeah. Nervous or a little bit mixed feelings at the minute because yeah. of, of what happened last season and, and what's yeah. to come? So much depends, as Gav's alluded to there, on, on what transfer business gets done, um, particularly on an outgoing sense, because that probably shapes a lot of what happens on an ingoing sense. So if one, I, I mean, it'd be pretty bad if, say, if, I mean, we, we all know that the club's three sellable assets are Pickford, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, and uh, it seems to be Richarlison's probably favourite to go out the door two years after his contract. He's questioned his own future already. So he'd be the one you think be the prime candidate to raise funds. Um, so it all depends if, who you bring in to replace them. We were talking on the podcast last week, not all the candidates who believe have been considered and potential incomings are, um, have a great deal of uh, favour with people in the club, but obviously uh, they're fancied by Lampard and Farewell, and you've got to respect their decision. So yeah, it does a lot, it does depend on that transfer business, both in and out this summer, what actually does ultimately end up happening. But what I would say is that I would hope, I would sincerely hope that the season is better than the season they, they've just had. Um, even with what they, they've got, they, they they should be doing better. I know, like you say, if you take out one of those major equations and then you could be struggling again with one of those big players' goals because you're going to struggle to replace them, certainly like for like Richarlison. I don't think you can get somebody in who's going to be like him. So um, a lot does depend on that. But I would hope it's going to be better than the season that went before. The fact they've also got a manager who has this great connection with the fan base now. I mean, we're still very much an unknown quantity, Lampard, in terms of look at his Derby record, Chelsea record. It's hard to say whether he is you know, an outstanding manager or not. He's still learning his trade. I believe he's got a lot of good people around him with his backroom staff, and he's intelligent enough to sort of recognise the role that they play as a collective. But yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be better than, than, than last season. Just looking forward to, um, like you say, after manager and the... the the players, the, the fans, all united as as one, which is totally wasn't the case at the start of last season. Right, gents, we will leave things there. I think, as I always say, as Phil Kirk Bryce would say, we've chewed the fat enough yeah. over what was a, a memorable season for a variety of different reasons. Um, but we will be back next week when hopefully we will have a new signing to discuss and hopefully there will be a little bit more transfer activity surrounding the Blues, possibly in, in an outcoming and outgoing and Ladies on the takeover speculation, but for today, thank you very much for joining me, lads. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.